If you were to picture a king, this isn't what you'd expect. Over the next two weekends, we'll be exploring three surprising portraits in Luke's Gospel. There's a royal arrival on a donkey. There's a bloody execution. And there's an empty tomb. This Easter, meet a king like no other. A rejected and rescuing king. A risen and returning king. Well, it's great that you can join us for the third of these sessions. Uh, We've been taking three pictures in the book of Luke, uh, portraits of Jesus uh, over this Easter weekend. And um, this is the last one. uh, And it is of Jesus uh, appearing to his disciples and the empty tomb. Uh, And it's great that you can join in with this. Uh, If you have enjoyed it, um, then there is more stuff on our website, uh, which, which might interest you. Uh, please do go there and uh, and continue to listen to the kind of talks that are on there. Um, but our, our first part is in Luke 24, verses 1 to 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marvelling at what had happened. So I'm going to start with this. Uh, Seeing is believing. You hear that a lot, don't you? Seeing is believing or is it after all what's the first thing people say when they see something extraordinary what do they say when they see something extraordinary happen they say i don't believe it if seeing is believing uh then that's what most people would say about the resurrection They didn't see it, so it didn't happen. Some might want to sound more open-minded than that, but they'd still say, I want to believe, but I can't unless I see it with my own eyes. And yet I think this passage and the whole of this chapter, what Jesus says actually will push back on that assumption. Seeing isn't believing hearing is. This chapter is full of people who see things and even see Jesus, but they don't understand what they see. And not only that, but Jesus himself seems to suggest that there's something more compelling than seeing. I've given you a clue as to what it is, but I won't tell you exactly what it is. Look out for it as we take each of these main three groups Uh, that are involved in this chapter. 
It's what Jesus or the messenger points people to uh, each time as the most compelling piece of evidence. When you've, when you've got it, when you think you've noticed it, don't blurt it out. Uh, let others find it for themselves. So the first group is in that passage we just read, and they're literally the first. They're the first to the empty tomb. No Jew would work on the Saturday. It's a day off. So they seize the first opportunity, the break of dawn on Sunday. Their women, a group of them, and uh, those who love Jesus. And we're told that Mary Magdalene, Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, was with them. What they visibly see is a repositioned stone in verse two and an empty tomb in verse three. And yet they're left confused, aren't they? It's not until verses six and seven when the messenger points them to uh, prompts them to recall what Jesus had previously told them that they believe, that they understand. Maybe he reminded them of Luke chapter nine, verse 22, which says that the son of man must suffer and will be arrested and put to death. But on the third day, he will rise. That's what Jesus said to them. Well, next in verse 11, the, the apostles, they're not buying it. Peter is actually the only one who's willing to investigate it for himself. He goes off on his own. He finds the tomb empty, just as they said. Well, we're going to look at our second reading now, uh, which is from verse 13. Um, so if you can get that open in front of you. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognising him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and were before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. Later that same day... Jesus catches up with two of those that disbelieved. Uh, they were amongst the group with the apostles when the women returned and Jesus catches up with two of them. And they're already at this point heading away from Jerusalem on the same day. They've given up. Uh, despondent. Does only just about captures their mood. Clearly, every hope that they had riding on Jesus has been shattered. We hear that, don't we? They say, we had hoped he was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. Three words 
we had hoped. And these three words are massively poignant and familiar to us in Dagenham, in London, in England, in the world today. Because all around the world, these three words are reverberating. They're everywhere. We had hoped. And these are the words that are spoken when people lose those people that they love. We had hoped. Hopes are shattered by what? They're shattered by death. Hopes are shattered by death. And so hope in death is so precious and yet so evasive. It's desperately what we want, but we just can't find it. I'd like to say it's actually why you'll see us gathering around rousing speeches uh, about fighting this virus and talking about the NHS staff as our blue army um, of heroes. Because with all the motivational talk about victory, at some point, we're going to have to call death what it is, defeat. Death is defeat. And deep down, I think we know that's true, don't we? There's 10,000 people who will not be there to see their loved ones this Easter. There's 10,000 families then who have had the bottom ripped out of their world. And if we reject what we hear today, then it's 10,000 families we have not a single word of comfort for. I was chatting with my sister on the phone. Uh, she's a doctor and she's a Christian and it's, she's a doctor in a London hospital, uh, which has actually seen probably the most number of cases. It turns out that no one wants to go to that hospital for any other treatments now. Uh, so the entire hospital is full of people uh, who've contracted the virus. Uh, it's not quite full, uh, but imagine the full hospital being full of patients. And a huge part of her job is to care for the families of those who have died. And if you could replay every heartbreaking interview with grief-stricken families, you'd find these th same three words there in the background of everything they're saying. We had hoped. It's what they'd say if they could get the words out over their grief. It's what will be written on their faces. We had hoped to start a family. We had hoped to grow old together. We had hoped he would be able to take his daughter down the aisle. I read an article written by a mother speaking of her husband, an active father to two teenage kids, who is gently slipping away on an ICU ward. And I was moved to tears as she replayed word for word the kind of things her kids were saying to their dad and the kind of things he was saying in return. We had hoped. Death is defeat. We can't get away from that. As human beings, death is defeat. And, and actually, if we don't come to terms with that, then we'll be our immature uncomfortableness with the, with the idea of defeat well, actually, we'll try to repackage death as something other than defeat, and that's just heartless and callous, because people know it is. The grieving families know that death is defeat. Well, death really is defeat. But here's the thing. Resurrection, resurrection is victory. Death is defeat, 
but resurrection is victory. And that's why this matters so much to us. It's why it matters so much if only people would hear uh, the truth of the Bible. It's why it's worth exploring if you're doing that right now. Hope and death is what we don't have and yet we long for. And Jesus, the only man to stand the other side of the grave, has won this victory. It's his victory and he can lead us into it. So let's return to the men on the road and our theory, which was, if you remember, it, seeing is believing. And here we see it really isn't. <laughs> Jesus is there and yet they are kept from recognising him. Let's read from, uh, from the next bit onwards. Verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And the eyes were opened and they recognised him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? So we're looking for what it is that Jesus and the messenger points people to. And uh, in the first picture, the first group, we saw that the messenger points them to what Jesus had already said to them previously. What he had said would happen. And it was at that point that the women believed. And now we're in the second group, which is these two guys. And they can't. They had Jesus before them. Seeing isn't believing. Because they can't. They don't see who he is. And uh, what does it say? Uh, that Jesus does um, in verse 25, he's, verse 26, he says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. <laughs> so Jesus takes them to the Bible. He takes them to the scriptures. Uh, to prove uh, to them what the scriptures say have happened so that they would actually see what has happened because they can't see it. Have we picked up what the compelling piece of evidence is yet? What does Jesus and the messenger seem to suggest is key to believing the resurrection? It's the scriptures. It's words, isn't it? And specifically, the, the words, the predictions that Jesus himself made, which he simply got from the law and the prophets. Jesus says that's the compelling piece of evidence. That's where I'm going to um, prove to you that the res I'm standing here right in front of you. But that's where I'm going to prove it to you uh, by teaching you what the Bible says about this event. Well, if you're still not convinced and you need one more example, we're going to look at the third group the last gathering in Jerusalem, uh, which is in the next uh, part, chapter four, uh, chapter 24. Uh, back in Jerusalem, where the news has spread, the guys who were on the road uh, 
realize who Jesus is, recognize him, and uh, he's disapp- he disappears. So they, they leg it back to Jerusalem, uh, to where the apostles, where they've just come from, where the apostles were. And by the time they get back there, um, there's news that Peter has himself uh, seen Jesus in the flesh. And so they're buzzing and already talking about them. And they come in and they just say, whoa, you know, you've seen him. We've seen him. Wow. You know, this is amazing. The two travellers have returned with their encounters to discover an already buzzing meeting. Peter has encountered Jesus too. Uh, We pick it up from verse 33. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I, myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved, for joy and were marvelling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. But everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So uh, this group are pretty expectant to see Jesus. And yet when he actually appears before them, uh, their response is fear and doubt. Because Jesus himself says, doesn't he, uh, that why do you have doubt in your hearts? So he says that they don't really believe what they see. Actually, they think he's a ghost. Which is why he has to show them uh, and get them to touch, physically touch the parts of his body, because they, they think they've seen the spirit. That's why Jesus does it. So, so if we're trusting what we see, why would we think that Jesus is a ghost? And actually, you get to that bit, don't you, where um, in verse 41, it says that they still disbelieved for joy. So even after Jesus has shown them his body and got them to touch it, they still disbelieved for joy. It's too good to be true. And maybe it isn't. And yet Jesus, what does he do? What more can he do to prove it to them? Well, what does he do uh, in verse 44? Let me read it. He says this. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Jesus points them to his previous words. Remember what I said to you? And Jesus points them to the scriptures 
what what the scriptures were always saying that Christ would do. And that is the thing that will convince people. Jesus is saying, <laughs> you know, don't trust what you see, because what you think you see is a spirit. Trust what the Bible says. Trust what I have told you. Um, listen to that and you will believe. You see, he opens their minds here to understand the scriptures. Jesus can do that. God can do that. And back uh, with those two guys, what they said was, didn't our hearts burn within us while he explained the scriptures? God can make hearts burn when they hear the scriptures explained. And that they can actually believe based on what they hear. Um, if you were to ask any Christian in this group uh, how, they, uh, how they came to believe, that would be what they'd say. They would say, I started to look into the Bible for myself. And as I read the Bible, God helped me in my mind to understand what I was reading. And he changed my heart and my heart was burning with what I heard. Um, and actually, it's what Jesus says to, to one of the guys who doubted uh, his resurrection. Uh, if I was to say to you, uh, name a Bible character who's known for doubting. You would say, Thomas. And Jesus says to Th Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Have you, have you believed because you've seen me? No, no. You believe because God has opened your eyes to see who he is and because I have revealed myself to you. Uh, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And really, that is the simple take home for us this afternoon. You will know that Jesus is risen because the Bible will show you. Seeing isn't believing, but hearing is. Hearing Jesus take the predictions of old and showing how he fulfills them. So that we might know who he is. And what what we can what we see with our eyes when we when he showed it to us. It's to take home that if you'd be someone who'd say that seeing is believing, and yet here Jesus is saying that it's not seeing but hearing. Bible will point you to me, Jesus says. It's what can persuade you that I am risen. I have regular conversations with people here in Dagenham, and the most familiar thing I hear from people. Uh, whenever I even mention the Bible is, oh, the Bible's made up. Just straight away, the Bible's made up, dismissing everything it's got to say. And actually, I, I think if I can appeal to you, that would be incredibly rash, wouldn't it? In any investigation, to shelve the largest piece of evidence that we have for those events. It would be really rash to shelve the largest piece of evidence we have for the events that took place. And yet that's what we so quickly do. We don't want to listen to the Bible. And yet Jesus says that is the most compelling thing. That's what will prove it to you. Um, it's not more evidence that we need about the resurrection. Uh, often we feel, don't we, as Christians, that we've got to sort of prove it to people somehow and we've got to show them elsewhere of the Bible. Uh, I could point people to 
a helpful project called, uh, and it's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And it's written by Josh McDowell. Uh, but all he'd do is point you to the Bible. Sure, he started his book as a sceptic, so he does test drive all the other alternatives for the empty tomb. But really, Jesus' own words are enough. So what is stopping you from hearing those same predictions that Jesus himself showed were about him? Is it pride? I'm not even going to bother. Is it, is, it, is it sort of laziness? The Bible's there. We can read it for ourselves. What we need, according to Jesus, is humility to accept his words, to simply be willing to ask that he would give us hearts that burn within us and minds open to him to understand the scriptures. That'd be a great thing to pray and that'd be a great thing to do to read the scriptures for yourself. But maybe you're here and you know that Jesus is alive and you follow him. We feel, don't we, often the great onus on us to produce more convincing evidence than the Bible for the resurrection. But we don't need to. Jesus doesn't go looking elsewhere, does he? He doesn't entrust the people to see right, things rightly themselves, even the people that were there. Even if we could see him, he gives us his words, which point to how the predictions were, that were made are about him and are fulfilled. So take confidence and really use what he has given you and share it with others. Don't be ashamed of it. Point people to read the Bible for themselves. He says in verse 49 that these are the witnesses. He says uh, to the disciples uh, in verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. And, and the message of salvation, the forgiveness of sins and repentance will be proclaimed in all nations. And that's exactly what has happened. God can open blind eyes and he can change people's hearts. And we think of people who we'd like to pray for our family members. And we need to pray that God would do that, that they would be humble to read the Bible for themselves, uh, because that is what will convince them of the resurrection. Now let me pray and then we'll have a chance in a moment to pray together. Father God, we uh, thank you that Jesus is alive. We thank you that you have achieved what you said you were going to do. And please, would that be the thing that convinces us and gives us confidence for the future? And about your resurrection, we pray that we would be those who would say, Jesus said it was going to happen and he did it. Uh, please give us uh, boldness uh, to share the Bible with people, uh, to not be ashamed of it. Uh, but to see that it is your way uh, for people to come to know the truth. Uh, please help us when we explain to our friends. And please help us to point to the Bible and not to what we uh, think uh, they need to hear. Amen.